Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are. Here we are again, recording on a lovely fall day. Do you guys good? Yeah. I'm well. Chilly. Very good. Chilly. Yeah, it's chilling up a little bit. So that's great. So um, uh, this is going to be kind of an interesting discussion because, you know, as as we're recording this, the um, Hurricane Ian has just decimated Florida and um, is about ready to hit South Carolina. And um, the topic that we're discussing today kind of relates back to our own infamous hurricane of 1938. So in a way, it's very appropriate. And um, we'll launch into that in a minute. But first of all, with us today is Bill Sutton. Hiya, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Steve Coates, reporter extraordinaire. Hey, Steve. I'm an ordinary reporter. <laughs> ordinary reporter, no, no extra. <laughs> Just a reporter ordinaire. And and also sitting in with us today is Randy Croxton. And Randy is an architect, and he's also a member of the session of the Old Whalers Church in Sac Harbor, also known as the First Presbyterian Church of Sac Harbor, um, and affectionately called the First Presbyterian Old Whalers Church of Sac Harbor. <laughs> so I think I got all of those covered in there. Hi, Randy. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good to see you. And um, the uh, the listeners can't see it, but Randy has a lovely image of the Old Whalers steeple in the background. Um, it's a drawing, of course, because the steeple itself came down in the 1938 hurricane that came through here as a, a probably a category three storm. So Steve um, and Randy recently um, had a story. Well, Steve wrote it and it was a talk with Randy about the efforts to possibly see that 185 foot steeple rise again above the landscape, but perhaps with a more 21st century purpose in mind. So Steve, do you want to introduce us to this story and then we'll have Randy jump in a bit? Sure. The, um, I guess almost since the day the steeple toppled over, there's been talk about rebuilding it. And the most recent uh, episode uh, came when WLN, or actually when Verizon proposed building a monopole at the site of the WLNG radio station on Redwood Road. And lo and behold, while that was being reviewed by the village board, um, Randy Croxton showed up with a proposal to rebuild the Old Wellish Church steeple and secret inside that steeple some type of cell antennas that would, I believe, pay for that steeple or part of it. And that sort of caught my ear. And I um, so I interviewed him, and here he is. Here he is. And uh, yeah, Randy, I remember, I think we were just discussing before we started recording, I had, re I had actually covered for the Sac Harbor Express 
the big presentation that you had done at the church way back in the late nineties. Um, and that was, I believe it was Paul Goldberger. Yes. The, um, he's the uh, architectural writer, right? So that's the thing that's interesting to me is I remember this being something that was being bandied about way back in the last century. Um, and at that time, I don't know if the, the number that sticks in my head is like 3 million was what the cost estimate was then to do this project. But I thought it would be interesting if you wanted to talk about what's changed between the original idea and now and how you envision this could possibly work and what it would do for the community. And before he starts, let me just interject real quick. The earliest thing I uh, reference I, I found to the rebuilding the steeple was in, I believe, 1950, when there when the, the church had raised like twenty five thousand dollars to rebuild the sanctuary. And they were, I believe, shooting for sixty thousand dollars to replace the steeple. Mm. OK, well, there you go. We have a couple number new starting <laughs> points. So what do we think now? Well, the a couple of uh basic points, because there has always been this uh, wish or legend about replacing uh, and bringing back the steeple, uh, and particularly the the push that we had in sort of 2007, 2008, uh, a lot of people have that in the back of their minds, and we were actually approached uh, by a number of folks uh, looking at the WLNG option and the monopole and and coming back to us again with whatever happened to that proposal, whatever happened to all of the earlier efforts. And the the fact is that that the 2000-2008 proposal was quite matured. In other words, uh, we had gone through a structural analysis, working with Silman uh, Associates, structural engineers, uh, and uh, we had uh, the sort of foundational uh, communication that came with Paul Goldberger, his, uh, at the time, his architectural critic for the New York Times. We gave a, uh, a lecture uh, in uh, around uh, 1998, uh, on the viability in a sort of cultural and historic preservation context uh, about the idea of reconstructing uh, the steeple. Uh, in 1994, and I and this is uh, bears on this quite directly, the the church, the Old Wheelers Church, uh, the architect uh, Menard Lefebvre uh, finished it in 1844. Uh, in 1994, uh, we achieved, uh, our firm actually did the historic structures report, but we achieved the, the designation of the church as a national historic landmark, uh, which is the highest uh, level of designation uh, of uh, historic significance. Of course, closely tied into the culture of the whalers. Uh, so we have these, these layers of memory uh, they'd go back to the uh, the earliest uh, ideas, uh, which Steve was referring to, uh, coming up to the uh, Goldberg, uh, Croxton, and and uh, we had a professor from Southampton who joined us in that presentation. And then we, as I say, got to the most mature advancement 
which actually got to a contract uh, with a carrier, lead carrier at that time. Uh, and uh, we hit a major road bump in that the carrier in the final version of the contract that we received uh, added a designation that uh, despite all the money that they were putting up and despite the congregation depending on that monthly income to justify a mortgage which was going to uh, be liquidated through those payments, that the carrier had the right to back out on 90 days notice uh, and stop payments if the technology were to change in the future. So when we talk about a major difference between then and now, it turns out that there have been multiple contracts of uh, uh, cell towers located within existing historic structures and quite frequently steeples of churches in which uh, that, that provision has been negotiated out. There's obviously a much stronger need, uh, particularly in Sag Harbor, I might add, for uh, adequate cell phone coverage. Uh, and so that has sort of faded away as a major roadblock uh, to cell towers uh, uh, going forward, particularly when they're gonna create a uh, a very significant risk for the congregation. We haven't really talked about the Old Whalers Church from an architectural point of view. And if you haven't seen this church, you really need to. It's uh, basically, you know, 1840s. It's an Egyptian revival structure right is that what you would yes. call it officially so it's very unusual i don't think there's that many examples of egyptian revival anywhere in the country so it as, as somebody has said it looks sort of like king tut's tomb because it's a little wider at the base <laughs> a little narrower at, as it goes up and then just you know it's hard to imagine but then it had this 180 something foot steeple that just went straight up which is absolutely huge and the church itself i guess already sits at about 80 feet so as the architect in the room do you want to talk about the significant visual appearance of the church and some of those very interesting features and maybe describe what the steeple originally looked like and how it functioned and how it came down yeah the the interesting part here is that uh, the Egyptian revival period uh, was at its sort of peak in terms of the, uh, in uh, New York City, uh, the original reservoir, which is on the site of uh, what is currently the public library in Bryant Park. So here was this gigantic reservoir uh, that was located at a high point on Manhattan Island, uh, which had, of all things, uh, these battered or sloping walls uh, expressed in Egyptian revival. Uh, and this had this sort of, uh, this was a period uh, coming out of the sort of first time that America broke away from England with its own uh, style. And that style was Greek revival. 
and so in this period of Greek revival, which is sort of the 1830s, uh, and the everything was being influenced by this notion of this all comes out of Napoleon's conquest in Egypt and the books that were published and the images that were coming out of the tombs and just uh, just a fascination with that as a design context. And this, this uh, opening in 1843, uh, and, and I'm going to just tell one other while I have the time, I'll just bore you with one other detail about Greek revival. If you look at the expansion of the Erie Canal in New York State, for instance, and all of the cities that were springing up along that canal as the sort of big Western expansion was underway, uh, you look at those towns and the, their Greek names, their Ithaca, their Syracuse, uh, and, uh, and even uh, some of the towns uh, expanded right. out of uh, Athens. Or, so the, the idea, there was a very strong uh, commitment to democracy. And democracy, from the American point of view, was embodied uh, with the history of Greece. And uh, so it was a style that was not uh, not in uh, England and, or elsewhere, and it was the first sort of American expression of a style. And shortly after that, you saw a sort of a, a rush of other styles coming into architecture in the 30, moving beyond the 30s into the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And that's really where you have the character of Sag Harbor because it captures all of these styles within a, a flourishing community that was expanding because of whaling. So you look at, there are very few examples. It was a brief ebullient moment when Egyptian revival was all the rage. Uh, and like I say, 1843, the reservoir opened. 1843 was when Menard Lefebvre got the commission to do the old whalers church. And so uh, it is, uh, it is uh, from the exterior, the strong expression of the battered walls. Uh, and uh, it's a very, it's actually out of Menard Lefebvre's notebooks that you find the Egyptian temple that was used as a reference. Mm. And everybody thinks that the existing church somehow is that Egyptian portion. It's not really. The two side portions or towers, turrets as they go up, uh, are part of that temple reference. And then there is a low expression over the main entrance. So that temple actually looks like a big M, a letter M, with a low portion in the middle. Uh, what Lefebvre did was he took that sort of entrance portion and he pulled it away from the face of what would have been the perfect Egyptian temple and used that as the base of the steeple. So in fact, the first 85 feet of the steeple already exists. It's that pulled forward entrance heading up. Uh, and so you get this uh, combination because all of the interiors are done in Greek revival, which was still very strong in uh, interior and exterior design uh, at that time. 
And then when you get to the steeple, which is all was erected like a telescope, that is to say, three segments, one pulled up by a team of oxen uh, through the lower, larger portions. So you get this telescoping effect of this tower, which carries up uh, a total of 185 feet above grade. Uh, quite dramatic. Uh, and it, I, I, as I was telling Steve, it's it's really a moonshot for these whalers. This is the okay. tallest structure that is built on Long Island, including Brooklyn, uh, one of the tallest structures in America at the time. Ironically, Menard Lefebvre was also doing his church, Holy Trinity, in Brooklyn, which would surpass the old whaler's church as the tallest structure uh, on Long Island, uh, with actually inside of one year after the 1844 completion of uh, old whalers. But the uh, the character of, uh, you know, we it, it now we talk about masters of the universe and, and the heads of Wall Street and, and hedge funds and so forth consider themselves to be masters of the universe. But here in this small town of Sag Harbor, you had ship captains who literally were striding the entire globe of the earth, traveling away for many years, coming back with, at the time, tons and tons of money uh, before the discovery of oil, the precious uh, whale oil. Uh, and in this very extraordinary little community, uh, there was the reaching out to an, a leading architect of the time, which I think is very revealing. Menard Lefebvre was very odd, unusual, extraordinary combinations in one person. He was a carpenter. He was never trained formally as an architect. He came to New York City when he was 41 years old. Mm. Within 10 years, he was recognized even by the most... Uh, sort of academic references in the period recognized as the as is one if not the leading architect in the uh, manner of Greek revival. So this was uh, not only visible miles and miles away and and the, the, the history is that it was visible for ships. Uh, making the turn at Montauk Point, coming back to Sag Harbor, uh, it was uh, it was a enormous leap and undertaking uh, of at a unique time in history, uh, and that has a lot to do with why it was designated as a national historic landmark because it's the cultural and historic sort of uh, pivot point uh, of that era. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. 
carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I think what's also fascinating about it is the fact that it represented the pinnacle, not only of Egyptian revival design, but also the pinnacle of the whaling industry in Sag Harbor. And within a few years of being opened, this village was plunged into poverty with the collapse of the whale industry and everybody moving west for the gold rush. So I think that's the other interesting intersection here. It's not only architectural pinnacle, but also a uh, whaling industry pinnacle that really, I mean, by the time the church was finished, the industry was already fading away. Um, So it's sort of like a frozen in time moment. You could say that Egyptian revival architecture was sort of the the Nehru jacket of (laughs) <laughs> well, now i'm picturing the church with a neighbor jacket around it i don't know <laughs> now there's a paint there job but, but the thing that i also remember from this is that the that the steeple was always somewhat problematic i guess and and they went in it was i don't know if it was listing slightly even from fairly early on but in like around 1910 they went in and i think that mrs russell sage the patron um saint of sag harbor in terms of projects actually paid for a lot of it to shore up the um the steeple and part of the shoring up was to seal some of the inner louvers that allowed wind to escape and also to add some i guess anchorage at the bottom but it wasn't secured properly so from what i've heard in in the folklore is that when that hurricane of 38 roared through it basically the wind got under the steeple and because those louvers that had been in the steeple to let wind out were sealed up it turned it into a veritable missile yes and it basically sailed off and crashed to the cemetery next door. That's what George Finkenor Sr. told me. He was actually walking home from high school, he said, when he saw that thing come off. Now, I don't know how true that is, but he claims to have been a firsthand witness. And right. he's, not, he's not with us anymore to clarify that. But Well, I did a, I did a, uh, a very laborious forensic analysis of why it failed. And that is part of a couple of lectures that I've given uh, in that regard. And, and the irony was that the 1910 uh, uh, rehab of the steeple, uh, for the reason that you mentioned, which has, has to do with pressure equalization uh, of the steeple under heavy wind, um, not only was that removed, but the, uh, the sort of modern solution of three of the rotted um, uh, there were eight major timbers, three of which were were cut at different lengths because of the rotted wood and steel uh, uh, sort of feet were uh, cups were added on the bottom and shimmed up to the, until they were all acting again uh, in their normal uh, relationship and the steeple was erect. Uh, however, the the in in the process of and we have uh, I didn't have to cut anything because there are various um, degrees of destruction of the base connections to those original uh, uh, members, uh, and when you get in and under those, you see a drainage hole uh, that was very cleverly incorporated to 
to when the rain would come in through those open louvers uh, and fall down to the roof uh, that is directly over the organ, there's a complete beautiful uh, copper roof uh, that is over the organ and directly under the steeple that allows all of that rain to come through uh, and then hit that sloping roof and run away to a separate drainage system inside the steeple that would drain that water back to the exterior. So that, that idea of not only draining that water away, but draining the water away from the wood members so they would not rot. Uh, amazingly, when I was able to get under and inspect those drainage uh, elements, they were blocked. <laughs> so clearly it was a failure to maintain the drainage, and, uh, number one, by the by the owners of the church, and somehow that either was lost or disregarded. Uh, and then number two, the failure to understand the the necessity, which was in the original design of hold downs. That is to say, this the large structural members came down and seated a tongue into the members they were tying into. And then dowels would come from the side, three dowels, wooden dowels, that would tie the, those members against what? Against uplift. Hard to imagine that this, the tons and tons of wood construction bearing down mm. on the top of the church would ever have uplift. But of course, in a hurricane, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So there was no resistance against uplift on just those three supports. So it basically waited uh, another uh, from 1910 until 1938 when a hurricane delivered exactly at the weak plane of those three supports, the powerful push, uh, able to push because none of the wind could blow through the steeple. Mm -hmm. And then as it began under the stress to move forward, it pulled up and opened that backside. And you can imagine that it was just like a rocket once that hurricane wind could go up inside the steeple, which now again was a perfect cone. All of the holes had been sealed, then it just literally was like a champagne cork mm -hmm. flying off the top of the church. Wow. Now there's an image, right? <laughs> I like to think of it more like one of those those early uh, films of attempted flight where the yeah. the thing goes down the runway and just <laughs> tips over. <laughs> you know, less of a rocket than a, uh, you know, a tree coming down in the forest, you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I think that's what's interesting. And I imagine that maybe if there's critics out there, that might be their, their criticism is that, well, you know, obviously it didn't hold before. So why is this going to be different? And I think it's important that people understand that there were mistakes made in engineering back then that we understand now. Um, I'm also curious, you know, about materials, you know, like would to rebuild this 
massive steeple is is there a, a chance that that composite materials could be used i wonder if would sag harbor village even allow that you're not allowed to have those plastic fences although i see them everywhere no actually we had we had again gone through uh department of the interior um standards uh and actually the department of interior standards now recognize composite materials it's not you can't use plastic but something like a fiberglass impregnated cementitious material uh, that uh, basically holds up, holds the form of wood uh, and can also have an impregnated color. So it could be the, uh, uh, the white um, uh, color of the, uh, of the exterior. And there's an additional uh, great property of that and that is that it is transparent to uh, the transmission of uh, cell communication. So uh, it doesn't interfere. You can literally cloak all of the equipment and so forth so that it's invisible to the exterior and mm -hmm. you can create a complete architecturally correct uh, shell uh, around uh, the structure and the equipment. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I would never think that wood would interfere with the radio signal. I mean, steel, of course, but wood. Can you explain a little bit why that? Yeah, is? well, because because the wood you 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 can't uh, even even in the original construction, you know, you would have nailing sure. uh, ways of connecting. So you'd have a lot of uh, iron uh, components that okay. are in in and among uh, those uh, connections. As far as, you know, the more nuts and bolts, so to speak, of actually getting phone carriers and cell phone service in there, you know, in late 90s, there wasn't a lot of phone service carriers out there. And I don't remember, but maybe you can remind me, you know, were you, was at that point, was the idea a single carrier would have the right to use that and what that's changed now like do you put a, a tower inside and you can rent it out lease it out lease out space to multiple carriers i i imagine the equipment back then was a lot bigger and clunkier and and you could you could fit more more in the same space now is that correct or am i off uh, yeah, no, you're no, you're right about the that, and particularly that affects the land side equipment because it's not just the equipment in the steeple, but there's also equipment uh -huh. down at grade. Uh, in the original sort of advanced proposal that we were entertaining, there was an agreement to because of the national uh, designation of the church. Uh, there was an agreement that the equipment would be below grade so that uh, we could um, uh, not have that encumbering uh, the site visually uh, and that we would have the steeple uh, with all of the transmission uh, equipment. Uh, and so the, the scale of that additional equipment has gone down uh, the size of that has gone down considerably in the ensuing years, uh, in the in the interim. Uh, but also the uh, going back to uh, Annette's uh, first question, which was uh, about was it just one carrier or multiple carriers? Uh, 
there was a lead uh, a lead carrier um, back then uh, who would uh, then negotiate uh, on and, and this gets into the details of the negotiations at the time would negotiate favorable rates to the additional carriers at that time there were four mm. carriers there are only three now um, at that time there were four carriers and very importantly you know almost number one are the carriers for the emergency services for the village for fire and ambulance and so forth uh, which now is so bad that uh, you know their tragic <laughs> disconnections of services and the ability to uh, carry out rescues in a fire and uh, and so forth. So there's a there's a pressing need for emergency services. So uh, in the contract uh, that was being considered. Uh, in detail in the 2007-2008 period, there were a total of four carriers and there were, was also the emergency services uh, for the village and all of that would be incorporated uh, in the steeple. Does the church see a bigger, a better opportunity to, to have this pay for itself than maybe was even possible in 2007 and eight? I'm just wondering, you know, have the finances changed in a way that makes it more advantageous to to pursue this even now than it had been in back in those days? Well, the subject that we're talking about, because uh, uh, Steve, Stephen basically had two questions for me, and they're the two questions that I get hit with uh, over and over. Quite simply. Uh, how much does it cost and how fast can it be built? <laughs> so, so that, and now you're asking, you know, is it a more advantageous environment for those two things to happen? Uh, my uh, assessment, and we're at the front end of this, Steve was very uh, insistent that they get a lot of information down on record uh, about about what is being done, and I'm in the dilemma of a very fresh idea and a uh, a request to go back and really take a look at how do we translate that into today. Uh, but I must say that there is mm -hmm. a, a much higher criticality and need for cell service. There's an enormous criticism of the carriers and their coverage in this particular area. And because there are some folks out there, I assume, with the kind of money and loud voice uh, to put pressure on carriers, that uh, that a lot of the demands uh, that were in the, in the negotiations before have kind of melted away. Uh, and so I sense that there's a a loosening of the requirements and negotiations on one hand, but also that there would be inherently more money and interest uh, in supporting and grants and direct donors to get this in place and have it as, you know, and I referred to it as a moonshot. I mean, this would be, 
for a relatively, as I see it myself, um, with various clients, a relatively small amount of money with a unbelievable impact uh, in terms of the uh, the history and the connection back to the the central DNA of this little village, uh, and uh, so uh, it seems to me that that. Now there is even more uh, opportunity and viability of making it happen. This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. Is this a, a project that would be pursued with without the cellular cellular component or or is that kind of the a driving factor here that I think you know if if you know if if we didn't have a uh, uh, I was going to say a church but the actual word is if we didn't have a congregation of relatively mm. relatively small congregation that cannot that that struggles already under the burden of uh, uh, caring for and maintaining. We we're just beginning a uh, another sort of master plan mm. phase for the church, and we've done a very modest first step, which just we just completed, uh, which was basically cleaning up and getting the front facade uh, back into relatively pristine condition uh and that's you know that's the face of the church which is which is only about 18 percent of the exterior wall uh but about a hundred percent of the image you know in the village uh and uh but of course the debate randy is that do you paint the church or let it peel so people know you need money (laughs) (laughs) well we actually we that that debate that debate uh, raged and uh, and myself and uh, Nancy the the pastor and a couple of us just said you know what we have to send the message that we're here and we're serious mm. and that we're viable and so we decided that we were going to put the uh, a strong face as a, as an announcement of uh, a new future for all whalers. And I think I'm thinking that the timing might be really ideal for this. And you probably do as well, since there seems to be a lot of uh, resistance to the idea of the monopole at Redwood. So this would totally be able to replace that effort, I'm guessing. Well, I, I have to say that I don't want to sort of sit here and be critical of that as an option, but seeing seeing something so contemporary and so uh, visible uh, within all of the surrounding historic historically significant spaces um, uh, and knowing that as being the central attribute uh, not only 
in terms of restoring something in a positive way rather than adding, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a contradiction uh, to the historic uh, context, but also that it's that it's extraordinary in just the simple functioning of a cell tower. Uh, it when uh, the previous lead carrier put their crane out on the uh, in front of the church and lifted their their testing equipment up to the top of the steeple, and they got a the reading of what that would perform at. It was just a slam dunk. I mean, they were like, "Wow, this is it. We're going to go with this." Yeah. Uh, and to you're, imagine yeah, it makes more sense. You're at the highest point of the, you know, of the, I mean, rather than trying, and then the, the other problem with maybe on the causeway is that's a very flood prone area and it's very low lying. I mean, it just seems kind of, well, insane. it is the lowest point. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get any lower and... unless you're in the cove. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Uh, so at this point though, that like it, you're not far enough along to, to, to estimate the cost of, of, of rebuilding the steeple or anything like that. Well, that's actually the first uh, the first uh, uh, package of funding. Uh, my my conversation has been with the uh, again to renew the conversation with the New York State uh, Office of Historic uh, uh, Preservation, um, and, and in which you know uh, we would be looking for uh, some grants and funding uh, uh, in, in that direction uh, and, and without making any commitment whatsoever, uh, they nonetheless uh, thought it was extraordinarily intriguing in this, in this one application that uh, such a significant element of historic preservation could have such a powerful modern contemporary uh, function. Um, and, uh, so, so we're, you know, we're, we're going in that direction and then speaking directly with Silman, uh, and Nat Oppenheimer and I worked on the, uh, original, uh, structural concepts, uh, around the replacement of the steeple. Uh, and so we need to get, to come up with the, which is a cost, all of avenues for that is for that package to really establish uh, schedule and cost uh, for the delivery uh, of the project. Well, there you go. Those are still questions for you, then, Steve, aren't they? Yes, yes. I have. I still have questions <laughs> for Anna. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, of course, there's like the whole village. If you know, if this goes when I should say when this goes forward, the whole um, jumping through the village hoops. I wonder, you know, how how easy or difficult they might make it. You know, I I would. You know, I the I have obviously have projects, uh, many projects over time in front of the Architectural Review Board, uh, and um, and and have had discussions of, you know, with past heads of that body and members of that body, and uh, and obviously I do a lot of work in historic preservation, so for for my money and and I mean that was why I had Paul Goldberger come in uh, at you know that that earliest of lectures uh, is just to uh, uh, put that to rest uh, about uh, the viability and the, uh, the reasonableness 
um, well, reasonableness in a historic yeah. context. I guess uh, I guess it wasn't reasonable when it was done, and uh, it won't be reasonable when it's done now in the sort of uh, uh, dollars and cents driven bottom line. Uh, but it's uh, in an aspirational sense, it's an enormous return on an investment. Yeah. And you think about the kinds of things that have been improved in the village. I think that this is definitely a worthy contender. Well, I have to just interject that I've, I've ridden poor Randy uh, repeatedly about the appearance because I'm one of those people who I look at the church now and I think it's a very elegant building and I see the photographs of that steeple and I think, oh my God, it's like a, you know, so much wedding cake on top yeah. of, you know, uh, a beautiful pie or whatever. But I, um, um, so you like the puritanical Egyptian revival model. Well, yeah, I, I, but I have to say that I've gone from a, a couple of months ago thinking this was a, a crazy idea to thinking that it'd be pretty cool. Um, you know, provided that it's not done in yeah. styrofoam, you know. Um, yeah. 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 And I'm sure I'm sure the Wright brothers had naysayers too, who they won over. So we might be onto something here, right? Perhaps, yeah. If you get me on board, um, yeah. There you have it. So, um, so that's the next step that you have, then, Randy, is to try to to really start looking at funding and to really make this proposal uh, something concrete, but not concrete, something fiberglass something composite composite right well <laughs> right that's true that's true we um obviously we uh, are internally we're bringing along uh the session which is the governing body of the Wales church and the presbytery of long island and so we have internal uh you know, folks to get under the tent, and we have all of the external uh, uh, folks to bring uh, under the under the tent in terms of just the uh, the rigor of the approvals and sign offs, and then of course the financial. So it's hard to say who's first in line, but uh, they all have to be addressed. And, and so. are you are you talking to cell carriers at, at this point, or is that well, that's actually that's that's actually a good point, and I had it in the back of my mind to address. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you brought it up because that's another big difference. Because uh, back then, essentially, you were talking to a carrier, and that carrier would be the lead uh, carrier. Uh, in this instance, and in many parallel instances, not all, but quite commonly. Uh, there's an intermediary uh, uh, hmm. corporation or entity uh, that basically takes on the role of being the uh, constructor, builder, and lessee to all of the carriers uh, so that the carriers don't undertake the building, as it were, of the, of the uh, hmm. tower, uh, but, that, but that that's done by... Uh, uh, an intermediary and and there are certain advantages to having uh, an intermediary in that uh, they uh, can act uh, as the negotiator uh, of the outcome for the congregation 
So they're basically standing as an intermediary to all of could, them. It keeps, keeps the church's interest at the forefront rather than a single right. carrier. Right. Exactly. So, no, well, that's that's to Bill's point. That's that's a very important difference about how uh, we have we see this in at this point going forward is in that kind so, of. Position. So it may work out that it's waiting a, a, another decade or more may have may be more advantageous than if it had happened in two thousand and seven or eight. I think it's. I, I think it's. Well, you have to remember where 2000, 2007 and 2008 was. That was a very euphoric moment. Uh, you know, it was not the Roaring Twenties, but uh, it was a, a mini version of that. And, and then we uh, know what happened in 1929. Well, we know what happened so, in 2008. Yeah. Exactly. And, and 2000 and late 2008. 2008. Exactly. Right. So, so that was the... We could uh, be in the midst of another one now. Well, yeah, we could. We could be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> leave it to Steve to leave us on a down note. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I'm a, I, I've never been uh, I've never been um, wrong in being skeptical. That's why we love you, Steve. <laughs> With a grain of salt. <laughs> so I guess we'll be having Randy on again in another um, in the, in, in the months to and years to come. Hopefully, not too many years. I thought you were going to say in a month. Yeah. Like, yeah. Your, <laughs> hurry up. <laughs> All right, Randy, give us a deal. <laughs> I would like it to be, I would like it to be sooner than later. Yeah, us too. So, yeah, this is a story that, yeah, it's been going on for a while, you know, since 1938. So, so batten down your hatches. And then as a footnote, I would, I would add that uh, it was not a category three that the, the storm that brought down, uh, by the way, both of uh, uh, Menard Lefebvre's uh, steeples. The, the one here and the one in Brooklyn uh, that had the highest recorded uh, wind speeds of any hurricane uh, up to 178 miles per hour. And so it was a category five plus, plus, plus. So it was uh, a five when it hit here. Cause uh, I'd always heard that it, that it wasn't, it wouldn't have been a five because of the water temperature, but I guess they weren't measuring things back then either. Right. No. And, and it, you know, it literally cut, uh, through the, I mean, the East End. I mean, we were not sort of an island, you know. At that point, we were connected continuously through. Right. So the Shinnecock Canal was right. cut by the 1938 hurricane, right. uh, and uh, the the track of that hurricane was uh, extraordinary. They they couldn't track, you know, they didn't weren't able to follow the track of the hurricanes, and so uh, it, it was off of Cape Hatteras was the last sighting. And it was in an arc, a very common arc of where it would go out and completely miss uh, the mainland. Uh, and from the last sighting, uh, that hurricane accelerated in speed and went in a straight line and hit and severed uh, the east end of Long Island and then had a just beyond belief impacts in uh, Boston and mm. Providence. Right, Providence. That was 84, 84 years ago last right, week, right? right? Last Wednesday, I think. Or, um, mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, that the notion of it changing direction because that was the same thing that Sandy did. And we, you know, we were scared. I mean, that was incredible because I, I remember going out 
uh, I got my dogs outside in the what I believed was the eye of the storm, and I thought, wow, it sure is clear. It doesn't, you know, and uh, we escaped. Yeah, went back in expecting the storm to resume, and it never did. Well, I have. I remember the Sandy. They had it was that very weird, strong easterly push that pushed it right into New York Harbor that they didn't expect right. at all. It was very. It was kind of this bizarre wind pattern. Mm. So there you go. So make sure you tie everything down. That's all I got to say. I'll <laughs> add. I'll add one footnote, uh, which was uh, just in terms of. Uh, the issue, the issue of Egyptian revival, and that is that in uh, the year after he completed the All Whalers Church, uh, Menard Lefebvre entered a national competition to uh, design the Washington Monument. Uh, ultimately, he won that competition, and it was a very elaborate uh, Egyptian revival uh, pylon. Uh, which is, you know, you see in the cemeteries as markers and so forth. Uh, so it comes up to the, the pylon always comes up to the pointed uh, uh, face at the top. Uh, and the, uh, the original location for the Washington Monument was Murray Hill in Manhattan. <laughs> and so that never went ahead and he died at an early age, uh, he died when he was 56, uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, and then ultimately the Washington Monument was uh, was built and it was a pylon. It was an Egyptian pylon. Oh, nice. And to me, it when I look at all of the elaborate Egyptian flourishes and everything that, were, that was on Menard Lefebvre's design, uh, I'd look at the Washington Monument as the ultimate example of value engineering. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. I'd love to see that. I'm going to look that up. I want to see what Bernard's design looked like. One of the, the, the church in Brooklyn, was that uh, the Holy, the Holy Trinity? Was that? The well, Trinity? it's called, you know, it's, it's misleading. I actually went to uh, a, a seminar. I was asked to come uh and participate in a seminar on Menard Lefebvre's work uh, at at the church, uh, and it has a different name now, which is uh, at the time it was called Holy Trinity, but it has it's a combination of I don't know something and Mary and you know it's it's got a completely different name. Is it a, is it a wooden structure or is it a uh... no from the outside it, it's a Gothic revival. Okay. So then I have seen the right building. It's yeah. uh, stone, uh, you know, okay. on the outside. So they rebuilt the. They must have rebuilt the steeples. Then I, does it not still have the? No, steeples? no, no. They did not. They did not restore okay. the steeple. Okay. Yeah. Well, Randy, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Sure. Really great, and I think um, we're going to have an opportunity to uh, to do this again in the coming months. Right. Great. Look forward. You'll to finally it. answer Steve's question at some point. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. I'll be I'll be glad when the sun comes up on that day that I can answer that. <laughs> All right, yeah, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll wait and see if the steeple rises again. I will add just real quick, by the way, that when I did the obituary of Tom Horn a couple of years ago, his grandson told me about how I guess it was Tom Horn and his brother had climbed into the steeple and 
you know, with flashlights or whatever, and they were going to, you know, write their names, and they were stunned to see their father's name already there. <laughs> so there are many, many names, many names are carved up there. So I hear, yeah, and I, I, I would not have gone up uh, even inside that steeple. I'm afraid of heights. Enough is enough. You know, I, I know what's outside. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.